Welcome to episode 25 of the Truish Hoops podcast. It's me, the man, Dan. Every team by now has played at least 41 games. Most teams have played more than that, actually. So I thought we'd give out some mid-season grades for every team in the NBA. The grades I am giving are based mostly on my perception of the team coming into the season and what I perceive them to be now, their expectations coming into the season, not necessarily how good or great they are doing. And we're going to start with the Eastern Conference. Let's just get the bad teams out the way. The Detroit Pistons, the Wizards, the Hornets, they all get Fs uh, for different reasons. The Wizards, they're 8-37. and They're in a full rebuild, obviously trading away Bradley Beal in the offseason. So this was expected that they'd be kind of a really bad team. But, I mean, it's just some of the most unserious basketball you'll watch. You know, you, know, you kind of saw that coming with the duo of Kuzma and Jordan Poole. But he just hasn't had a very good season efficiency-wise. It's gotten better. Over the past few weeks or so, you know, you see a little more consistency, him in the 20s. But for the start of the season, it was really bad. And that's why you saw they relieved Wes Ansel Jr. of his coaching duties. Charlotte is 10-34. and 34. You know, they're probably having a D-grade season given the time LaMelo has had to miss with injuries. But even when he plays, they're not any better. Uh, but I feel like Charlotte's been like the same team for the past like three years. And they were better a few seasons back. You know, they made the play-in twice, got blown out twice in playing games. Now they're at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, not really winning games. They don't play any defense. They play fast and they score, but it's just nothing, you know nothing positive you can see with this team to like oh this team will be see some progress Lamelo's pretty much their only bright spot and they implore a domestic abuser so that's always very bad brendan miller though has had a pretty good rookie season uh kind of in the shadow of all these other great rookies like chet victor Wembanyama, and, and jaime detroit i mean it's it's just historic levels of bad they did get a win tonight uh it's sunday night as i'm recording this uh against the thunder you know go figure uh but they had an nba record 28 game losing streak they're 6 and 40 on the season they're on pace to only get about 10 or 11 wins so that's obviously really 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 bad you know there's really no way to overstate that now let's move on to another eastern conference team the atlanta hawks i'm gonna give them a d plus they're 18 and 27 uh, on the season, they're 10th in the East. They have a top 10 offense, but they're bottom five in defense. It's just kind of the same thing we've seen the past two, three seasons ever since they made that Western Conference Finals run. Uh, it's just kind of disappointing that with the talent they have on this team and getting Quinn Snyder now for the full season as a head coach, he's been successful in his coaching career, that this team is just not really producing the results that I think people expected, at least for them to be, you know, an actual playoff contender. They're at the bottom of the play-in right now. Uh, it's not where they want to be. And that's why you see all these rumors, all these all this chatter about them kind of retooling the roster, moving DeJounte Murray, you know, a borderline play-in team uh, with expectations that they'd be a more competitive team. So that's why they get a D a D plus for their season. Uh, they're on pace to only win 34 games and their preseason over under was 42 and a half. So obviously been a disappointing season. Let's move on to a more positive story now with the Orlando Magic. The Orlando Magic, I gave them a B minus because the Orlando Magic, they're only 23 and 22. But I'm giving them a B minus because I don't think anyone expected them to be a playoff team. And that is what they are at this current point in time. Now, they started 16 and 7. They were a really good story that started the season. Since then, they've gone 7 and 15. So they are coming back down to earth in terms of the elite play that we saw in the beginning of the season. 
where their defense was carrying them. But when you're a bad shooting team that they are, and they're a slow scoring team, that eventually is going to catch up to you in today's NBA. And that's kind of what's happened to them. They also had Franz Wagner uh, miss about three weeks with injury, so that has hurt as well. Uh, but Paolo Boncaro's having a great season. I expect him to be named an all-star reserve uh, at some point in this coming week or next week whenever they announce those players. They're on a 43-win pace. Their over-under to start the season was 37.5, so they're definitely having a better season than most people expected, at least Vegas, uh, who makes these odds. Uh, they're likely going to be a playoff team for the first time since 2020, and they've only made the playoffs twice since Dwight Howard's departure. Uh, almost 11, 12 years ago now. So this is definitely a positive sign with this new young group uh, headed by Franz Wagner and Paolo Boncaro that they are on the upward tick of building a core, building a culture of the Orlando Magic and maybe once again becoming a free agent destination. Now to tackle one of the contenders in the Eastern Conference, the Milwaukee Bucks. I gave them a B plus grade, which might be a little generous considering that you know they just fired adrian griffin who i chose to be the coach of the year before the season we don't have to talk about it but they're hiring doc rivers you know the thing with doc rivers it's amazing how far a championship can take you in your career he has the reputation of winning a championship with the 2008 boston celtics and it's been dragged out all this time. He's still getting head coaching job after head coaching job. He just got fired from Philadelphia, you know, after last season's playoffs, you know, signed on to work in the booth for ESPN on their games and during the week. And all of a sudden he's thrusted right back just a day after they fired Andrew Griffin right back into a head coaching position of a major contender. You know, it's great. It's great for Doc Rivers. But here's some Doc Rivers stats that I'm sure many of you will be familiar with. Doc Rivers, in his coaching career, has lost 32 closeout games in the playoffs. He's lost seven series when leading 3-2 in a seven-game series. He's lost 10 game sevens. He's lost 12 series when holding a series lead. None of those numbers are any good sign that this team will not fall flat in the playoffs like they did last season with Mike Budenholzer. Now, they are 19-8. and since December 1st and they're second in the East at 32 and 14. So there's just, you know, you, you look at this team and say, you know, we thought they'd be world beaters and they're not, but they're still having a good season. They're only a couple games back of Boston. Who's the first seed, but the concerning part with this team is just how they've fallen off defensively last season. They were fourth in defensive ratings this season. They're 20th. They were 14th in opponents points per game last season. They're 25th this year. They're 8th in opponents' fast break points last season. They're 23rd this year. And then opponents' points in the paints, they were 13th last year. They're 25th. So they're a bottom 5, bottom 8 defense by almost every metric you look at. That is not conducive to winning a championship. There have been very, very few teams in the history of, in the, history of the NBA that have won a championship not being a great defense. Denver was able to do it last season. They were kind of a mid-defense, middle-of-the-road defense last season. Uh, the 01 Lakers were able to do it. They were a repeat team. The 2018 Warriors were able to do it. They were also a repeat team. So unless you have some championship pedigree, which this team does, obviously they won in 2021, a little bit of a different roster. Now they have Damian Lillard. Now they have a different coach, uh, their third coach since that championship. You kind of see, you know, worries of this team of whether they're really going to be able to get it done. The Indiana Pacers. I'm giving them a B minus grade. They're more or less where I 
personally expected them to be. I could, I could see why a lot of people are surprised by how good they are this season. Uh, but they're 26 and 26 in the East. Uh, major props for the going to the in-season tournament finals, which seems like so far away uh, removed from that now. Uh, but they beat the Bucks and the Celtics on the way to that in-season uh, in tournament finals. They lost to the Lakers, obviously. But Halliburton's an all-star starter, and he is becoming a bona fide star at point guard. And I know the Pacers had some struggles the past few weeks because Halliburton's been in and out with injury. But they just recently traded for Pascal Siakam, which immediately makes them a better team. Uh, and I, But the problem is, until they become a better defensive team, they're 26th in defensive rating currently, it's hard to take them serious as a real threat uh, to the top of the East teams. But offensively, they're the one of the most highest scoring offenses in NBA history. So they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody. But defensively, you wonder, as I just mentioned with the Milwaukee Bucks, it's hard to be a real threat in the playoffs, a real threat to maybe even contend for a title without having at least a decent defense. And that's going to be the, the strides they make going forward. We'll see who else on that team they try to move. Indiana Pacers are being aggressive. They want to get better. They see an opportunity here with a player like Halliburton to really build a really great team. You know, Indiana fans love basketball, and that front office is committed to winning. It's just hard in, in uh, small markets to really build a good team. Uh, they have to really build through the draft, and they've done that. They've drafted a bunch of young guys like Matherin and Naismith, now Halliburton. Turner's been there for a bunch of years. So we'll see not only Indiana try and be aggressive in trade discussions in free agency, trying to build this team and become better. But a B-minus for the season. They're having a great season, and I'm excited to see what they do in the playoffs, well, who matches up with them. Now the Boston Celtics, the other contender, major contender in the Eastern Conference, they're going to get an A. Obviously, they have the best record in the NBA. They're 20-2 and two at home. They have the highest point differential in the league. They've just been absolutely dominant. They have the best starting five in the league by far. Uh, this team's got to be the one that gets it done, right? I mean, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they've been the heads of many good Boston Celtics teams the past couple of years. And they went this offseason, made some big moves, traded Marcus Smart. They got rid of Brogdon, who just won the sixth man of the year last year. They brought in Porzingis, brought in Drew Holiday. You got to think that this team is good enough to finally get it done. There's still some questions I have about Joe Mazzula as a coach. Uh, and their overall late-game execution. We've seen them get blown out in the past few weeks by two other contenders. They got blown out by the Clippers uh, last night, and they got blown out by the Bucks a few weeks ago on national television. So there's still those questions of, will this team, when it matters most, will they be able to come together? And late game, will they make the necessary decisions? Will they not crumble? Because another thing I see with them is that they fall in love with the three. They get up some of the most threes in the, in the NBA. And Jason Tatum, I feel like, is at his best attacking the rim and, you know, using his post moves in the mid-range area. And I know that's not the sexy thing to do anymore in the NBA. It's about shooting threes and stuff like that. But I think they are best. Jalen Brown as well, attacking the rim. They are big wings, long wings. They should take advantage of getting to the rim, getting to the free throw line. It seems like late game, they could easily just do that. And then that will open up the threes for Holiday, for Derek White, for Sam Hauser. Those those will open up. But when they're forcing the amount of threes that sometimes they take, I just think it doesn't make sense. But overall, I mean, they've been a fantastic team this year. Uh, and they've even blown away some of the expectations we had on them. We knew they were going to be good, but I'm not sure anyone thought they'd be this good, especially with all the question marks uh, with the new roster acquisitions, especially with Chris Stops. He's been mostly healthy 
uh, for a majority of the season, and he's had a great season defensively and offensively, uh, especially when you look at his efficiency. Now, the Toronto Raptors, who engaged in a trade with the Pacers, sending Pascal Siakam away. They also traded OG Ananobi this season. I gave them a C. Um, you know, they're not good. They're not bad. They're kind of just there. Uh, they're 16-29 and 29 on the season, which is 12th in the East, uh, middle of the pack offensively and defensively when you look at their their ratings. It's not a team you expect to make the playoffs, but they're kind of now starting their rebuild. They're likely going to flip Bruce Brown at the deadline. I like the idea of building around Scotty Barnes. I think he's a nice young player that can really do it all. Manuel Quickly and RJ Barrett obviously have a special place in my heart because I'm a Knicks fan, uh, and they've had uh, great uh, seasons so far since they got traded to the Raptors. So that's kind of all you can really say about the Raptors. Now to another team that's going to be starting a rebuild very soon, the Chicago Bulls. I gave them a C-. minus. Uh, because they're ninth in the East, they're going to probably be in that play-in just because of their talent. Uh, but the rebuild is on the horizon. They should go full fire sale. Honestly, there's no reason to rip the Band-Aid off slowly. Just get it over with. Uh, Vucevic, Levine, DeRozan, who's going to be a free agent at the end of the summer. Just let's get it over with. Uh, this team is not going to get it done. But the hard part is that there's not a lot of real suitors for Zach Levine because his contract is just so unfavorable. There's very few teams, especially with the new CBA, that's really going to kick in at the end of this season, how they can accommodate for someone of Zach Levine's caliber making so much money. Uh, and I'm going to give a big L to all Bulls fans for booing uh, Jerry Krause's widow. That was really messed up. Uh, I understand what the last dance did to everybody. Uh, just further push the propaganda about Michael Jordan and his tenure there, but you don't boo, uh, you know, the widow of a GM that helped you build the team that won you six championships. That's just a side note. I had to get that out. Um, but I really hope the Bulls don't do anything stupid. Don't keep Levine. Don't re-sign DeMar. Don't do that just for the sake of selling tickets and merchandise. Don't do that. I understand, you know, owners are also in the business of making money, but you got to, you know, do what's best for the team. And what's best for the team is to move on, clean house, and try to start this over, build through the draft. It sucks, but sometimes it's what's got to be done. Now to move on to the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, I'm going to give them an A-minus grade. I mean, I think they've been really good this year. If you think about what the conversations were about them coming into the season, trading Harden we're thinking ah they got to trade Harden we thought that this may all fall apart Joel Embiid on the fence about where his future lies we're having none of those conversations anymore because Joel Embiid has been an absolute monster he's averaging 35 points per game he had a 70 point game a few nights ago against San Antonio he's going to become likely the first center since Bob McAdoo to lead the league in scoring three times. And Bob McAdoo did that all the way back in the early 70s. So that is a very significant thing that Joel Embiid is doing. He is quite literally the most dominant player in the NBA that we've seen possibly since Shaq, in term, definitely in terms of scoring. And it's just an incredible bounce back for this team after having to trade hard and we weren't sure what this team was going to look like. And that's mostly thanks to the leap that Tyrese Maxey has taken this season. He's going to be an all-star most likely, averaging 24 points per game. He has been fantastic taking over that role for James Harden, uh, having a career year. Also, the hire of Nick Nurse was definitely a slam dunk hire. You fire Doc Rivers and you hire another championship caliber coach who won a championship back with the Toronto Raptors in 2019. You know, everything looking good for this season. They are a borderline top five team, both offensively and defensively. You still wonder if they're going to make a move at the deadline. 
Uh, and obviously the questions still remain is whether Joel Embiid is going to play like this in the playoffs. It's going to be a tough road for them because they're going to have to go through one of Boston or Milwaukee, possibly both of them. Can they beat those teams in the seven-game series? Those are the questions that we will still have uh, until we get there later in the season. But I fully expect Joel Embiid to win the MVP this season unless he misses uh, six more games. I think he's allowed to miss before he gets disqualified because of the game quota which would be very unfortunate and those conversations are also going to be interesting to see how people flip-flop on the people not playing um in terms of when it comes to the mvp race and somebody winning that they don't want to win the cleveland cavaliers i'm gonna give them a b plus grade uh everyone kind of expected them to be a playoff contender be in the mix but they didn't start the season that way and it kind of looked like it was unraveling a little bit you had the injuries to Garland and Mobley, and you weren't really sure how this team was going to keep it together. You have the outside noise of Donovan Mitchell's impending free agency in 2025 and how much he wants to be in New York. And you have all that going on, and they still found a way to win games. They're having the season we expected, given they are still down two starters. They're 17-7 and seven since December 1st. Only the Clippers and the Celtics have been better since then. They had a, a seven-game win streak, I believe, uh, earlier this month. They're the number one defense in the league right now uh, in defensive rating. They're number three in opponents' points per game. They've had a really, really great turnaround through the season. The schedule has helped them uh, the last couple weeks, but it's still impressive to recover from that poor of a start that they had and people questioning really the team's future, me including. Uh, the loss of Mobley has allowed for more spacing and for Jared Allen to go off. Now the question will be, can they maintain this level of play the way they've been playing once Garland and Mobley comes back? Because I think there is really a question of whether you can have Mobley and Jared Allen playing together if having Jared Allen stunts Mobley's growth, we haven't seen him take the leaps in his skill set and his game uh, now in his third season in the NBA that I think people expected. And you wonder if Jared Allen being there, being just who he is, has a effect on that. And so when those two players come back, they're expected to be back at some point, maybe after the All-Star break. Uh, Garland, I think, is back soon, in fact. We'll see how the team looks then. Are they going to go back to what they were at the beginning of the season? Or are they going to look like what we saw for the most part of last season? Now to my team, the New York Knicks. I'm giving them an A- grade, and I don't want you to make that face. If you've watched the Knicks, you would know that this team looks scary. They're 29-17. and 17. It sounds high, the, the A- grade, given that they're the fifth seed in the East. But consider the preseason conversations with this team. Brunson had, you know, had that incredible season last year. Randall, another All-NBA season. They made it to the second round, beating Cleveland in the first round when most people did not think they would. And then they took Miami to six games, unfortunately. Randall's playing hurt, and just no one could really get anything going other than Brunson. Look at him now. Brunson is not only having... A good season he's having an even better season than he had last year you could make the argument that he's been the best guard in the eastern conference averaging 27 points per game four rebounds seven assists on 48 percent shooting 42 percent shooting from three and 84 percent from the free throw line he has been incredible blame the national media stephen a smith and the lot why he wasn't named an all-star starter people in new york voted for him Honestly, I don't think the older crowd of fans actually vote for the All-Star game, which probably hurts the Knicks. 
uh, because I, I would guess a large majority of Knicks fans in the city are older people. They may not go on the internet and actually care to vote for all-star starters, but the national media does not promote Jalen Brunson. They've spent the majority of the season talking about what he's not instead of what he actually is, and they do the same thing with the Knicks in general. It seems like there always has to be a caveat to why the Knicks are succeeding, and instead of just promoting how good the Knicks have been, especially since the OG Ananobi trade, it's all about, ah, but are they good enough to win a title? Like, you know, the majority of teams in the NBA are not good enough to win a title, but that doesn't need to be the constant conversation, the only conversation about the Knicks. Randall also having a great season. Obviously, there's some concern with the injury he sustained on Saturday night, uh, Saturday afternoon in his game against Miami. Looks like he dislocated his shoulder. I was watching the game live. I saw it. it looked like the second he came, he stood up. You can see his shoulder was kind of looking weird, like a bone was kind of popping out or something. Thankfully, it's only a dislocated shoulder. Uh, as you can see, he was walking towards uh, the Miami bench to go to the back. Hopefully, he doesn't miss more than a month. That's kind of the standard two to four weeks with a dislocated shoulder. So at some point, he'll be back in March, hopefully and he could pick up where he left off. It's going to be interesting to see how this Knicks team handles without Randall. They've had some time without Brunson before in the past games, and so, but Randall's kind of been a, a workhorse. You know, no matter what happens, he's kind of always found a way to play. That's kind of the Tibbs, you know, style of play. You know, that's kind of all over this team now. We've gone full in to Tom Thibodeau basketball, and it's been for the better, I have to admit. I was very critical of Tom Thibodeau last season, especially... Uh, when things weren't looking so great, but it's worked out. You know, we're going all in. We're, we're building a team that perfectly matches his style of play. Even Precious Achua, who was, you know, you didn't really know what he was going to bring uh, from his time in Toronto, now here to New York. He's been really, really good rebounding, helping with uh, the, you know, vacuum that has been left with Mitchell Robinson getting hurt. And now Isaiah Hardenstein with some injuries. We'll see how the Knicks move forward now down Randall Hartenstein and Mitchell Robinson. It's going to be tough, but you know, this month alone, we've seen the Knicks beat Minnesota. They blew out Philly on January 5th, and then they massacred Denver on Thursday night. And that's all just this month. They're currently on a six game win streak. They're eighth in both offensive and defensive rating. They allow the second lowest points per game in the league. They're 19-0 against teams below 500, so they're beating all the teams that they should be beating, which is always a sign of a uh, contender in the league. And they're holding opponents to about 100 points per game since the OG trade, and in that time, they're 12-2. They have turned into an elite team. OG Ananobi is now second in the odds to win the Defensive Player of the Year behind Rudy Gobert. Everything is looking good for the New York Knicks. Do what you need to do. Watch the Knicks play basketball. Now to the team they played on Saturday night, the Miami Heat. I'm giving them a C grade. They were 24, they're 24 and 22 on the season. You know, I thought not getting Damian Lillard was going to be a disaster, but hey, they got Terry Rozier as a consolation and it hasn't worked out so far, but it's still early. Uh, look, this team should try to swing big at the deadline. I mean, they should try to call Atlanta about DeJounte Murray, especially since the talks with the Lakers have kind of quieted down for now. Uh, but the problem is they lack the abundance of assets uh, to make really big trades and then for whatever reason or free agency they kind of get cold feet whenever a, a player wants to go there they just never pull the trigger but with all that being said with Jimmy Butler with Tyler Hero with Bam Adebayo coached by Eric Spolstra you can never really count them out they're the only team with three 20 point per game scores in the east 
but even with that, I still don't buy them as a legitimate postseason threat as currently constructed. However, they made the finals last year, and I don't think anyone ever thought they would do that again. They did that back in the bubble, but they found a way. And there's just some reason, something about this team. They just are so nitty and gritty. They find a way, especially with these contenders. Like, I know Milwaukee, especially now if they don't play any defense, they don't want to see Miami. Philly, I don't think, wants to see Miami. I don't think New York is scared of Miami. You know, we almost beat them last season. Uh, the team is better now. But Miami, they're kind of just a team that, like, you know, they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be there. It's up to them, you know, how good they're going to be. And it's up to the other teams in the East if they're going to take them seriously or not and whether that's going to bite them in the butt or not. I will give the Miami Heat credit. Jaime Hawkins Jr. was an A1 draft pick. And it's another lesson uh, to GMs and teams around the league that, you know what, guys with multiple years of college, they can be gems in the late first round. You get a, you don't get the upside that you do in lottery picks and the ceiling, but you get a guy that can come in and be ready. He is, at times, their third best player. He's been the biggest surprise rookie in what was a really good rookie class. Some people actually think he should win rookie of the year. Last but not least in the Eastern Conference, the Brooklyn Nets. They're going to get a D grade, and I'm sorry, James Boisitz, but you're 18-27 and 27 on the season, 11th in the East. On December 13th, they beat the Phoenix Big Three in their first game. The Nets were 13-10. and 10. They had a playoff spot. They were looking good. Since then, they're 5-17. Two of those wins have come against the Pistons. They beat the Thunder during that stretch, weirdly enough. But there just seems to be so much like not being done correctly with this team and just so much not going right. You're not starting Cam Thomas. You started Cam Thomas last night against the Rockets, and you won. You had 30 points, 30-plus 30 points. He's your best creator. He's your best scorer. Start him. Don't overthink it. There's no need There's no need to galaxy brain this. As long as you have guys on the team that can defend so that he's not constantly attacked on the other end, you put up with it. When you have a guy that can score like that, you play him as much as you can, especially when you're a team that struggles to score and you have these fourth quarter woes that they have. You know, you just can't, you know, afford to be shaving points off your own team. Now, Jack Vaughn, obviously getting a lot of flack, you know, bad defensive schemes. You got other key guys underachieving, like Cam Johnson, who ha who's on that big contract, but he's not really giving the Nets much. Uh, it seems harsh to give them a D grade, but compared to this team on paper and uh, what they actually are doing on the court, it's kind of been a massive disappointment, and that's likely going to cost Jack Vaughn his job, as it should. Um, you know, five and 17 in their last 22 games. That's just a horrid stretch. You know, only teams that have been worse than that are the teams at the absolute bottom of each conference. Uh, but hey, Ben Simmons is on his way back, guys. Now to do the midseason grades for the teams in the Western Conference. Again, we're going to get the really bad teams out the way because there's just really not much to say about them. Portland and San Antonio, they're both getting Fs. Uh, Portland is in full rebuild and they just aren't that good. It's that simple. I mean, 13 and 32 on the season, 14th in the West. They surprisingly do beat some good teams, uh, here and there because they have, you know, some dynamic players like Jeremy Grant and Anthony Simons that can really score. Uh, we'll see if they move Brogdon at the deadline. He's been rumored, uh, to be, uh, shopped and a lot of teams are interested, including the Knicks who need someone to come off the bench and score. And maybe Jeremy Grant, his contract is huge. He just signed it over the off season. Uh, but that he's definitely a valuable player that I think a contender or even a team on the fringe of contention could really use. 
San Antonio, they've been better lately, and they get an F simply for refusing to start a point guard for the first 25 to 30 games. I mean, that experiment was really dumb. Uh, I understand there was really not much to lose because you were gonna you were expecting to be a bad team anyway. But as you see now with your starting Trey Jones, that you have unlocked Victor Wembanyama. I mean, his numbers have shot up ever since they've been started Trey Jones because they have a point guard to move the ball. You know that was kind of their problem to start the season. They just weren't getting Victor Wembanyama the ball. And now even even on a minutes restriction, you see Victor Wembanyama constantly putting up twenty point double doubles, multiple block games. I mean he is a special talent, and he's likely I think the rookie of the year. I know Chet's getting a lot of mention as well, but I think Chet is uh, benefiting from how good his team is. Victor Wembanyama, you know, was fighting you know against the grain for a good while in San Antonio, but it looks a lot better now. We'll see. Maybe they have a better, you know, they look a lot more competitive in the second half of the season. The Denver Nuggets obviously won the title last year. They're getting a B grade. They're 32 and 15. They're fourth in the West right now, but they're only a game back of the first seed. I feel like this team does have a little bit of a championship hangover. Not too severe, but you can tell that there's nights that they just don't get up for their opponent. Um, no concerns when it comes to the playoffs, though. There's no doubt in my mind when they get to the playoffs that they're going to be the team to beat. That if you go to, if you're going to want to make the finals, you're going to have to go through Denver at some point. Uh, but those minutes with Jokic on the bench are definitely a potential problem. They have been for the past few seasons. You know, you're relying on Reggie Jackson, Peyton Watson, Christian Brown, Dejan, uh, DeAndre Jordan, and they've had some great games, all of them uh, individually this season but you wonder in a playoff setting without bruce brown and, and jeff green who were kind of big for them off the bench in last year's playoffs if they're going to be able to survive those minutes that Jokic is not on the floor to move on to the dallas mavericks i'm giving them a c grade they're kind of right where i think most people expected them to be they're 25 and 21 they're eighth in the west kyrie and luca have both missed games for you know various injuries my main problem with the Mavericks is that they heavily rely upon Luka's playmaking and just shot-making ability. That if he plays poorly, this team has no chance of winning. And if you saw the other night, obviously he's coming off that 73-point game that has had a lot of people with a lot of fake outrage about the defense in the NBA. I'm not going to have that discussion on this episode, maybe on another day, maybe with James Boisitz or someone else. But... The Mavericks were in that game the entire time with one of their players going absolutely nuclear. And I think that is a microcosm of what their season has been like. Especially if Kyrie is not there, everything falls upon Luka to create, to score, to distribute. Everyone on that team needs him to have good games. Tim Hardaway Jr. obviously can create his own shot, but he's not always the most efficient. Uh, Josh Green is having a good year as a 3 and D kind of wing that they've been playing. Uh, and obviously, shout out to Dante Exum for making his way back into the league. He's had a good shooting year. Grant Williams has kind of been up and down this season. Started really good. He hasn't been great the past couple of weeks. You just wonder with this roster if the duo of Luka and Kyrie can actually work in the playoffs because they missed the playoffs last season. They got Kyrie and they kind of just fell off the table. I think they make the playoffs this year. They're going to be in the play-in, so you never know. But... If they do get in there, it's going to be interesting to see, especially with the matchup they get, if a Luka Kyrie duo can actually work. Is there enough there to make up for how poorly they are as a rebounding team, their lack of size, and just defensively overall, just how 
poor they are at that. It's going to be interesting to see uh, going forward. But, you know, Luka's having a fantastic season. 73 points is a ridiculous feat. And honestly, he he had 65 with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And then the Hawks finally started double and triple teaming him and it slowed down his scoring. He also looked pretty gassed because I think that's something that gets lost in the conversations about guys going off for 60 and 70. How exhausting it is to do that, taking 30, 40 shots just because Kobe made it look easy doesn't mean it's easy, you know. That is an exhausting thing to do, especially for Luca, you know, who's had conversations about his conditioning before. Uh, but he definitely looked gassed at the end of that game, and he was only able to get to 73 despite having so much time left in the game. Now to the Utah Jazz. I'm giving them an A grade, and you're like, what? Yeah. I know they're only 24 and 23. They're 10th in the West. But no one, mostly me, I guess. I can't speak for everyone. But I did not expect the Jazz to even compete in the West. I thought they were going the whole other direction. I considered that they were going to move Laurie Markkinen, which was a rumor to start the season that they were uh, willing to listen on trade offers for Laurie Markkinen. It was going to take a lot to get him. But I'm thinking they're trying to cash in on draft picks. They're not looking to win. They don't have a chance of really competing with the roster that they have, especially when we look at the rest of the West. But you know what? They're balling. Sexton and Markkinen have been sensational, especially over the past month. Uh, Sexton averaging 21 points, 6 assists. Markkinen averaging 24-9 over this, you know, positive stretch that they've had. They were 10-18 and 18 on December 20th. They're now, since then, they've gone 14-5. and 5, And they're a really tough team to beat at home. They're 15-6 and 6 at home. It's going to be interesting seeing to see in the second half of the season that they keep this up, if they actually push for a play-in spot. Uh, they're in one right now. They're 10th. Uh, especially with Houston dropping off, uh, see if they can keep that playing spot. Now, they're actually a threat to one of those other playing teams uh, and to a team now that I just mentioned, the Houston Rockets, who've kind of fallen off the playoff, they've fallen out of the playoff race. They're going to get a C plus anyway. I know they're 21 and 24. Uh, they're 6 and 12 in their last 18 games. They've really kind of fallen off. But. I think it's better to look at the big picture when you look at the Houston Rockets. You know, Ime Odoka, you know, kind of a little bit of a controversial hire, but you knew with how he turned around Boston last season after they had a really uh, bad start, uh, not last season, but season before, uh, the season they made the finals. You know, they had a poor start and they really turned it around. He, his impact on this team is apparent. This team has a defensive identity. We're not necessarily a defensive uh, personnel. There's no one really on that team you look at and say, oh, they're a great defender, and people know that. But as a group, collectively, they are locked into playing defense, and that is what's helped them win games, especially in the early parts of the season. They're top six in defensive rating so far this season. But it's just going to take some time for the rest of the talent to improve and to mature. You know, they're 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 terrible on the road, which is, you know, a telltale sign of a young team. But they're 16-8 at home. And a question for me is really just I'm not sure if Jalen Green is someone they want to build around. I'm not sure if he's that type of player. He hasn't really shown more than what we already knew about him coming into the league is that he was a dynamic scorer, super athletic uh, you know, great ball handler, but can you trust him to run an offense? Is he a guy that you can rely upon as a foundational piece for the future? You know, they brought in Fed Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. Uh, that has definitely helped the team, helped with some of their maturity. Jabari Smith Jr., I think, is going to be a really good player in this league. Uh, Tari Eason is a good player. 
they have a lot of good talent. Sangoon, I almost forgot to mention him. Sangoon's having a great year. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if he's named an all-star. I think he definitely deserves it. Um, we'll just see in terms of the voting with how many forwards and bigs they're going to let in. But Sangoon has definitely had a fantastic season uh, at center for them. It's a good young roster that I think is going to be interesting to look forward to these next couple seasons as they continue to build upon what they've done this season. So, yeah. They're, they might miss the playoffs, but they're a C plus because they're just actually a competitive team that you that isn't a joke that they have in the past couple of years. Now to one of the top teams in the Western Conference, the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're gonna get an A plus from me because honestly, they shattered my expectations completely of what they were going to be this season. I expected them to be in a similar position as they were last season, which was in the plan, but instead they are one of the elite teams in the NBA. 32-14 and 14 on the season, their second seed in the West. I think they're actually tied with OKC now that Oklahoma City lost to Detroit earlier today. Uh, they're going to tied for number one, and that's their next game on Monday. We're going to see Oklahoma City and, Thun and, and the Wolves play again. But Anthony Edwards is on his way to superstardom. I'm not ready to put him in that top 10 group yet. Some people are. Uh, but he's definitely on his way. Uh, and they're the best defense in the league. I mean nothing i did not expect them to be the best defense in the league but when you look at things it kind of makes sense jaden mcdaniel jaden mcdaniel's great defender rudy gobert has been a multiple time defense player of the year in this league he's going to possibly win it again and last season you know you had cat miss so much time you just weren't sure what the team really looked like but this season we're seeing cat and rudy gobert what that duo in the front court really looks like and then along with you know the steady hand that is mike conley and the superstar talent that anthony edwards has that they are an elite team now they have a good supporting cast i, I like Nas reed i like kyle anderson uh but there is a lack of a scoring punch there especially off the bench they're 22nd in the league in points per game so that's definitely something that they can improve upon maybe they make a little small deal at the deadline uh and but they're really hard to beat at home they're 17 and 4 at home they're six and four in the last 10 however so they've had some some hiccups recent losses to the spurs and the hornets uh the hornets games obviously the carl anthony towns 62 point game where they admitted to just trying to get carl anthony towns shots in the fourth quarter knowing that Embiid had 70 on the same night trying to get him to get 70 instead of trying to win the game and it cost them and their coach chris finch came out called up called him out on it i like that he did that you know hold your team accountable for when they do stupid stuff because that is stupid and you saw it in luca's game he wasn't just chasing shots in that fourth quarter because of the games in the balance he was trying to win the game so that was the mistake the timberwolves made so that's kind of still I guess a maturity question with them and you know i still do fear it kind of sucks because it's kind of really just a narrative but the never have been there before thing with young teams that are found success i feel the same way with oklahoma city and i'm gonna get to them in a second but there is that fear there you know being the hunted is def is, is different than being the hunter and that's something they're going to deal with uh, going forward, you still your superstar is still very young. Cat has never handled high pressure situations well, which is why he has been dangled in trade rumors for the past two seasons. You don't hear much of those talks anymore. But let's see how this Minnesota team finishes the season. 
what they do in the playoffs because they're going to have a top seed. They're going to be expected to at least make the second round. And depending on who they have to play, if they have to play the Clippers or the Nuggets, you know, it's hard to think, despite how good Minnesota has been, that they're going to be either one of those teams in a seven-game series. But now to Oklahoma City, the other team occupying the first seed in the Western Conference, they're also going to get an A+. Because again, I did not think they were going to be this good this soon. I think everyone expected eventually that the Oklahoma City Thunder were going to be a really good team just because of the sheer talent they have on that roster. Shy, all-NBA player last season, averaging 30 points per game. But they, of course, have drastically exceeded what I thought. They're 32-14 and 14 on the season. Mark Dinault is definitely... Right now, probably the leading candidate for coach of the year because of the job he's done with this roster. I had my doubts, but, you know, Shai Gillis-Alexander has established himself as the top three guard in the league. And now even as an MVP candidate, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if Joel Embiid misses more games and he's disqualified for winning the MVP. The next guy in line is Shai Gillis-Alexander. Um, Jalen Williams has also taken a leap as a reliable second option. Chet has obviously had a great rookie season uh i say that because i don't think having a year you know under the coaching and training of an nba franchise still makes you a rookie uh we've seen it before and it makes sense why he's being so why he's been so good so efficient it's because he's had some time to prepare uh where victor Wembanyama has not and that's just my two cents on the rookie of the year uh race but Chet has been great on both ends defensively and offensively they're a top five team in both defensive and offensive efficiency. Again, the same questions though. Will the youth affect them in the playoffs? They never have been there before. I think it's a real thing for me at least. Never having been there before, having to have failed to finally get there. We see that in a bunch of young teams. We saw that with the last iteration of the Oklahoma City Thunder with KD, Harden, and Russ. You know, they were a young team that shot up the standings, you know, with their young talent and they got all the way to the finals and they failed. And you said, ah, they'll be back, you know, now that they've learned. You need that failure. I think one of these two teams is is, is due for it because their two young teams have shot to the top of the conference, uh, you know, at the surprise of most fans. But there's a lot of heavy hitters below them that, you know, even though they're not doing as great in the season, like Denver, like the Clippers, even like Phoenix and even LA, that if you match them up in a seven-game series, you think those teams have a chance because they have guys that have been there before and they have that pedigree. Oklahoma City and Minnesota don't, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a question to see whether that really affects them or not. Now to the Phoenix Suns. I'm gonna give them a B grade for the season. They really struggled at the start of the season, dealing with the injuries. You know, that was just kind of the constant conversations you can't really judge this team so all three are there but now the big three are playing they're all playing well they look like exactly what i think most people thought they'd look like they're an elite offensive team that can create shots at will but yet they're still an average defensive team and that's going to be their problem now being great offensively that's enough to be a good team now in the in the regular season but will in the playoffs the trio of three guys who all are shot creators all get their shots basically the same way can that work? You know, we just saw Devin Booker go off for 60, and they lost. You know, those are the type of things. You have guys that just can score, but can you get the timely stops? Can you do the necessary things, the little things? That's going to always be the question with the Phoenix Suns, but I think they're going to be a playoff team for sure. They're going to be an exciting team to watch in the playoffs. And there are some rumors with their, they wanted to trade for Miles Bridges. Look, you not a fan of Miles Bridges. 
uh, for obvious reasons, if you don't know, he is the domestic abuser. I talked about him, the Hornets. He is a good basketball player, so that's why you see him still, you know, in the NBA, unfortunately. But Phoenix Suns, I don't know how they get that trade done. But they get, then again, the Hornets traded Terry Rozier for Kyle Lowry in a second rounder. So who knows what's going on with Charlotte? You know, they've never been a smart front office. Uh, but if they get Miles Bridges, that's definitely a needed boost uh, to their starting lineup or even to their bench that they don't have currently and they, de- they desperately need. Now to the Memphis Grizzlies. Obviously a big disappointment. Their season has been kind of derailed. I'm going to give them a D- just out of sympathy. Uh, they're 18-27. and 27. They're currently 13th in the West. Unfortunately, John Morant's unavailability has rendered this season kind of a waste. Uh, John Morant was obviously suspended for the first 75 games of the season. The team went 7-18 and 18 in those 25 games. They were very, very bad. Uh, and then he came back, played nine games. They were 6-3 and three in those nine games, and everyone thought, oh, the Grizzlies can make a run. They weren't super out of it. It was still early enough that if they were great for the rest of the season, that they could still squeeze into the play-in, maybe even a play a playoff spot. Um, but then John Morant tears his labrum, which is in his shoulder, and he opts for season-ending injury, so it's kind of put their season to rest. They're 12 and 24 overall this season without Morant, which is a little surprising given that in the past they had been great without him. So most people like I did thought they'd still be competitive. Uh, at least for the time being, they'd hover around 500. And then when John Morant came back, they'd get back to being the elite team that they were last year. They were the second seed in the Western conference. They fell to the Lakers in the first round in due part to the injuries that they had in the playoffs. But now uh, it seems like their season's pretty much dead. Sacramento Kings, kind of the same team they were last year, no? Kind of think, same team, nothing really special, uh, nothing really different. But I gave them a B because of the fifth seed in the in the West, a really competitive West this season, they're 26 and 18. You know, I definitely feel like this team can be dangerous come the playoffs because of how great they are offensively. But there's still questions for me if Sabonis is that guy. Like, is he really that guy? He is a wagon in the regular season. The numbers he puts up are ridiculous at times. Uh, but in the playoffs, we saw against the Golden State Warriors that he wasn't great. He struggles with physicality and with size. And you, you, that is going to be an issue going through these elite teams of the West. OKC has size. Minnesota has size. Denver, obviously, has size. Even some of the other teams, like Phoenix. Phoenix has size with Nurkic. The Lakers have size. Can the Kings adapt to that? Can they get around that? Is their offense that good? Is their offense good enough? Uh, to counteract that and defensively they're still kind of a mid team you know and if you look at their placement in the seedings uh, they're likely they're going to play the Clippers and the Nuggets in the first round and I would not take them to be either one of those teams right now in the seven game series and so what you know what you assess the situation to be if they lose another first round series to a team that obviously is this time would be better than them I think they were better than Golden State last year but again, it was a case of, have you been there before? And the Kings had not. It was the first time they made the playoffs in like 15, 16 years. Having been there before is going to matter. They have been there before now, last season. So let's see if this season now, even though they're not as good uh, record-wise as they were last season, if it's a difference now in the playoffs. But those are two really tough matchups for a first-round series to get the defending champions or the Clippers with four Hall of Famers on it. Now to the Golden State Warriors. I've talked about the Golden State Warriors on this 
uh, show before. I'm giving them a D grade because it's just, I think, a complete opposite to what people expected. I think most people expected they were still going to be a competitive team, that they were even going to be better than they were last season. Uh, I wasn't sure why people thought that, but because it was clear to me that the roster was not good. Um, but it's been exasperated by how bad Andrew Wiggins and Klay Thompson have been this season, and then all the hijinks and shenanigans that Draymond Green has brought to this team, and the suspension and the missing games. They're 19-24 and 24 on the season, which is 12th in the conference. They're three full games out of a playoff spot. They lost an overtime thriller to probably the game of the year so far uh, against the Lakers. Uh, that went to double overtime. Curry was magnificent as usual, but that was it. The rest of the team, they're still a bad rebounding team. They have no size, and they're relying on a lot of guys that just are unproven. Brandon Podzemski is a great player, good draft pick. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis has been good for them, but it's just they don't have the size. They don't have enough scoring outside of Curry. They don't even have the playmaking now with the injury to Chris Paul. The Warriors are actually a better team if you look at their plus-minus when Steph Curry's off the court. Now, obviously, I'm not suggesting they're a better team without him, but there's something, obviously, that's working when Steph Curry isn't on the floor that doesn't work when he's on the floor. And that's something that Steve Kerr is going to have to figure out, and it's definitely a roster situation that just doesn't complement Curry in his style of play the way that the rosters had previously in the years, obviously, that they won titles. I think the Warriors are going to have to take a really long, introspective look on this team and what needs to be done going forward, especially if they're not able to squeeze into the play. And I, I'm not going to give up on them in, in that aspect. I think they can definitely still squeeze into the plan. Uh, but there's really nothing you've seen so far. We're already 45 or so games in. Nothing you've seen so far that says, all right, this team is going to have a turnaround. This team, they're still trying to figure out. This team looks like it is what it is, and it's not a good team, and that's just what it is. Now, the, to the New Orleans Pelicans, I'm going to give them a B-minus grade. They're 20 and, 26 and 20 on the season, which is the seventh seed in the West. They're just a game back of the fifth seed. They're having a good season, you know what, because guys are healthy. Zion, Ingram, McCollum, they've been healthy from Jordan of the season. They're a good team otherwise. They have a good Supporting Cavs, Valanchunas, uh, uh, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, who I've heard some chatter about him being traded. I'm not sure why they would do that. I think he's having a really good season, especially offensively. Has taken strides offensively. We already know he's a great defender. Uh, but to me, the jury is still out if Zion can be your franchise player. Is that someone you can still build around? Is he reliable enough uh, for that to still be the case? Uh, but as of right now, they're still a good team. They're a team I don't think a lot of teams would want to play in the playoffs just because of what they can do shooting from three and just having to deal with that many star players on one roster. Now to the Los Angeles Lakers. I've obviously talked about the Lakers a lot. I picked them to go to the finals. I'm not going to flip-flop. I'm still going to stay with them because there's a good team in here. I'm giving them a D, and that D grade stands for Darvin Ham. Oh, man, this just it's hard to really overstate how bad of a job Darvin Ham is doing with the Los Angeles Lakers. This team should not be 24 and 23. They should not be the ninth seed. They shouldn't be the first seed in the West because they were always going to need some tweaking with the roster there was always going to be a question if D'Lo was going to be moved or not they still need another big that they can rely upon to play in non-Anthony Davis minutes 
that can sustain uh, defense uh, on your team. But uh, this team is so poorly coached. I've never seen a, t- a coach actively try and hinder his own team. And I, I don't understand why he's doing it. Uh, it's whether he doesn't know better or he's getting, you know, direction from somebody else that we don't know but he plays role players out of position a lot of combination of one-way players that are just going to destined to fail i mean their starting lineup has delo austin reeves Torian prince lebron anthony davis lebron anthony davis obviously good defensive players but that three in the front court with Torian prince all poor defenders i don't know what happened to austin reeves over the summer but he's no longer a good defender delo has never been a great defender and then Torian prince I think would be a good player if he only played about 20 minutes a night, but instead he's being played 35 minutes a night, being trusted to start every single night and be your number one point of attack defender for the for the best wing on the other team. It's just a recipe for disaster. You're setting him up for failure. He's not built for that. They have a guy built for that in Jared Vanderbilt. You re-signed him over the summer to be that. Why is he coming off the bench? Why is he seeing limited minutes? And then you can just go down the list of guys. Max Christie doesn't have a role, doesn't play, when he's proven to be a serviceable two-way guard. Rui Hachimura, who they re-signed over the summer as well, he was fantastic for them in the Western Conference uh, playoffs last season on their run to the finals, uh, conference finals. He barely gets any minutes, doesn't have a consistent role. Christian Wood, whenever he gets playing time, plays well. There was questions of him defensively. Why was he a free agent for so long? He's proven that on a vet minimum. He's helped with rebounding. He's been a decent defender. He can shoot, space the floor, score, is a great finisher. It just doesn't make sense that Cam Reddish was starting games this season, playing 30 minutes. Torian Prince is the only guy, it seems, on this roster that hasn't been benched. D'Lo's been benched for, he was benched for a good while in December, and now he's back in the starting lineup, lighting it up. Austin Reeves has his games where he's very poor defensively and he's up and down offensively, but he is, he was coming off the bench for a while. It's just a lot going wrong. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> like I, I hate to like, just be, sound like a broken record, but like, if you watch the Lakers play, it's just befuddling. Um, you know, Darvin doesn't call any timeouts. You know, when you're, when a team gets on a run, another year opponent, if they're going to a six Oh run, seven Oh run, a good coach calls a timeout. You break, you get a break in the action, regroup. Let's talk about a little bit what they're doing and try and stop them. You draw up a play so that you can stop their run. He does nothing of that. In that game they had against the Brooklyn Nets uh, about a week or two ago, me and James Boyce has talked about it on our last pod. The Lakers were up 12, you know, halfway through the second quarter. With 10 minutes left in the fourth, they were down 19. Darvin Ham did not call a single timeout in between that. Not a single one. He watched his team go from being up 12 to down 19. He just watched on the sideline with his hands in his pockets. Now, according to Jeannie Buss and the Lakers front office, his job is safe. And I, why is his job safe? I don't think anyone with a brain can answer that question, why his job is safe, until you realize that the front office, they could care less about winning as much as they could care about saving money because you know what they're still they're still paying frank vogel because they fired him two seasons ago and if they fire another head coach they're gonna have to pay him and the coach whoever they they replace him with that's cheap stuff we just saw adrian griffin who was coaching the second best team in the east get fired because you know what they saw he wasn't doing a good job the vibes wasn't good players didn't like him it's 
obvious that the Lakers players are no longer playing for him. They're playing for each other. LeBron looks uh, disengaged on the bench whenever Darvin Ham's drawing something up. He's been making faces and stuff. You could fault him for that, maybe fault him for some leadership here. But if you got a coach that just clearly doesn't know what he's doing, it's hard to follow a guy you just don't like and don't trust in. And it's clear the Lakers no longer trust in Darvin Ham. It's been clear for a couple weeks now. But the Lakers organization, will they do anything about it? I doubt it. They should not be struggling this much where every game it's it's a shootout. The Warriors are struggling, and they, that t- they went to double overtime with them uh, with a roster that's better. They should be starting the lineup that got them to the Conference Finals, which includes Jared Vanderbilt in with D'Lo, Reeves, LeBron, and AD. You have LeBron and Anthony Davis playing like top 10 players, and they've been healthy from majority of the season. AD kind of got hurt last night. We'll see if he's out for any period of time because of that. And, I mean, look at the game LeBron had last night. 36, 20, and 12. Like, that's just absurd for a player of his age in his 21st season to have a stat line like that and be the best player on the floor or at least the best player on your team you know curry at 46 you can argue he had a better game um but it's just so so much things going wrong with the lakers and i hate to harp on it that's probably be the last time i harp it in until they fire darvin ham there's really not much to talk about they're going to be in the plan most likely they're going to be a dangerous team because they've shown they won the in-season tournament. They've shown that if they're locked in, if they have a set goal in mind that they can really lock in and, and really shut a team down and really create some great offense, be a great team. They've seen it. But just in the regular season, they're just going to be a roller coaster. They're going to be all over the place because they're going to come in unprepared. They're going to constantly get out coached by the, by the opponent. It's just not a recipe to win in the regular season, and it's going to hurt them in the postseason the west is a lot better this season than it was last year you can honestly make a case that they got a little lucky with their matchups in the playoffs last season they got a warriors team that they matched up against really well they played a grizzlies team that was down multiple bigs they matched up against them really well then they ran into a well-coached healthy team in the denver nuggets and they couldn't beat them once so that's the things with the lakers now to move on to the other LA team, and this is our last team of the Western Conference, the Los Angeles Clippers, they're going to get an A. I mean, they were, it didn't look good those first two weeks when they first got James Harden. You know, we had concerns about if this was going to all fall apart, if they had made a grave mistake, and we all look like fools now for questioning that because you know what? Ty Lu and this group of guys, they really rally together they are 30 and 14 on the season they're third in the west they're a game back of the one seed they they look shaky everyone thought that but you know what since december 1st they're 22 and 4 it's the best record since that date this has got to be the year right this looks like finally this is the clipper team you could actually believe can win the title you know everyone just set it off of faith because of Kawhi leonard and paul george and they had deep rosters this team is not as deep as they had been previously but you got a team with a lot of star power. Russell Westbrook fits on this team coming off the bench, playing with that second unit. Kawhi is healthy. Paul George is healthy. Harden, for now, is playing really, really well, has really embraced being that point guard. He's made everything easier for everyone on the team. And even without Zubak, they've still been playing really well. Mason Plumlee has, uh, you know, filled in that role he's been a great backup big for his entire career 
Uh, health is always going to be the question. Obviously, the one injury can really hurt this. But as of right now, if they go into the playoffs healthy, it's hard to pick another team over them just because of the sheer star power. Denver, obviously, probably the favorite just because they won last year. But the Clippers, a real, real threat in the Western Conference. How reliable the bench will be is another question. But I think they got it all figured out right now. They are easily one of the best teams in the NBA right now. And Tyloo obviously is going to be also a candidate for coach of the year. He's done a fantastic job and shows you, you know what? Coaching matters. I'd like to thank you for tuning into this episode of the True Shoots podcast. If you haven't already, like, share, subscribe to the video, subscribe to the channel rather. And you can also check out other videos on the channel uh, from True Shoops. You can also follow the podcast on TikTok at True Shoops. You can follow me personally at OZP Dan on Instagram and X. Thank you for listening to the episode. We'll be back next time for more basketball True Shoops.